Tonight, straight from the source, President Biden rebuking Republicans for their, quote, silence on threats to democracy, calling out his predecessor by name. We'll be joined tonight by Cindy and Jack McCain, the wife and the son of the late Republican Senator John McCain. Plus, the first Biden impeachment inquiry hearing not off to a strong start exactly. One senior Republican aide calling it, quote, an unmitigated disaster as every single Republican witness agreed with Democrats. All with nearly 48 hours left before the government is set to shut down and run out of funding. Millions of Americans stand to stop getting their paychecks, including members of the U.S. military. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. We're live from Capitol Hill tonight, the citadel of our democracy, where democracy is not exactly working as it should be. The government is on the brink of shutting down tonight with House Republicans voting in this hour on some of these standalone spending bills, though even if they can get these votes passed tonight, and that is very much still an open question as we are speaking right now, that alone would not prevent a government shutdown. A shutdown, of course, is not just a formality or something procedural. It would actually create a lot of pain for a lot of regular Americans. Tonight, House Republicans are essentially at war with one another, not just over funding the government, though. Even with no agreement in sight on funding the government, House Republicans held their first hearing in the impeachment inquiry into President Biden today. But it did not quite go as they expected or at least had planned for it to go as the hearing was deemed by even their own Republican colleagues an unmitigated disaster, mainly because of things like this. We've, we were going to present evidence. What evidence? There's no evidence witnesses. Well, just, no fact we'll just witnesses. sit back and let, let the American people hear the, see the hearing. Are you presenting any firsthand witness account of crimes committed by the President of the United States? No, I'm not. I have not. Uh, I have not. I do not believe that the current evidence would support articles of impeachment. I am not here today to even suggest that there was corruption, fraud, or any wrongdoing. This is an embarrassment. Democrats like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are not the only ones who felt that way. Some inside the Republican Party here on Capitol Hill also voiced their frustration to CNN in real time saying that it was, quote, mind-blowing for Republicans to pick witnesses, and several of those witnesses there were Republicans' uh, witnesses, that they refuted their own case. One senior Republican aide, as I noted, called it an unmitigated disaster. Of course, the target of that hearing, President Biden, was laying out the stakes that he sees for democracy, focusing on his predecessor's grip on the Republican Party and warning that he believes democracies can die in silence. Today's Republican Party is driven and intimidated by MAGA Republican extremists. More determined to shut down the government, to burn the place down, than to let the people's business be done. Here is what you hear from MAGA extremists about the retiring Patriot General Honor and his oath to the Constitution. Quote, he's a traitor, end of quote. Quote, in times gone by, the punishment would have been death, end of quote. And although I don't believe even a majority of Republicans think that, the silence is deafening. We'll have more on that speech in just a moment. But for the impeachment inquiry that we saw today, I want to get straight to the source tonight with the ranking member on the House Oversight Committee, Maryland Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin. Congressman, thank you for being here. I mean, we saw you sitting there next to the chairman, James Comer. Do you think anything was accomplished in that room today? 
I think it demonstrated to the whole country that there really is no evidence at all supporting the idea of impeaching President Biden. They can't even really name what the purported high crime and misdemeanor is. They don't even have a low crime and misdemeanor. They have no crime at all. Um, and today, for their very first impeachment hearing, they had no fact witnesses. They had no eyewitnesses. They put on several uh, experts who agreed with us that there's not remotely sufficient evidence to justify an impeachment. And so we saw a meltdown on the Republican side of the aisle where the Republican members were fleeing the committee room in droves, uh, embarrassed and humiliated by what was going on. But of course, the Democrats were there because we would like to put an end to this nonsense right now and get back to the work of America. The government is about to shut down in two days because of the chaos of this clown show. I'm quoting Republicans here on Republicans um, because they can't uh, develop any focus on what they want to do. And so you've got uh, a small extremist mega faction, maybe 15 or 20 or 25 members, which is essentially driving the train. And Kevin McCarthy has continually catered to them and appeased them. And we're all paying the bitter price of that right now. They're about to shut down the government of the United States, although the Senate Republicans, the Senate Democrats, the House Democrats and the president of the United States are all united. We need a clean, continuing resolution to get through this. Uh, along with disaster aid and aid to the people of Ukraine fighting Russian imperialist violence uh, against their society. But it is the pro-Trump, pro-Putin mega wing of the Republicans, which is having their way uh, over Kevin McCarthy. And so far, he's not been willing to stand up to them. And the government of the United States might shut down. This is something that no enemy government has ever been able to do to us in America. And MAGA is about to do it to us right now. Yeah, it seems that we are on the verge of that, even if Republicans do get those bills passed tonight. But but on the hearing today, Chairman Comer of the House Oversight Committee obviously has subpoena power. He said they will be subpoenaing Hunter Biden and President Biden's brother, James Biden. Do you think that he's ultimately going to take the step to subpoena the president himself here? You know, I don't know. This has been going on for nine months. We've had 12,000 pages of bank records, 2,000 suspicious activity reports. We've had tons of witnesses coming in and testifying. And all of them say, and all of the evidence shows, that Joe Biden wasn't involved in any of this stuff. So whatever you think about Hunter Biden and what he was up to, leave that to the special counsel who's been appointed, who was the U.S. attorney in Delaware, who was Donald Trump's appointment as U.S. attorney. Um, and he's already charged Hunter Biden with several uh, gun offenses. And it's clear that the system of justice and the rule of law is working for him. Why use that to try to bring down the president of the United States, who's been in public life for 50 years and has no convictions and no indictments? And their leader, Donald Trump, who's calling the shots over there, now has 91 criminal charges outstanding all over the country on everything from uh, trying to overthrow uh, a presidential election uh, to stealing government documents to obstructing justice and so on. And I don't even want to get into a civil litigation where he's been deemed to be yeah, we'll an abuser of that. women and so on. Well, and the other trial that we'll see on Monday in New York. But on this today, I mean, what you heard from Republican witnesses there in the room today saying that they don't believe there's the evidence there to impeach President Biden yet. But do you ultimately think that, that House Republicans will move forward with impeachment articles, even if nothing new emerges? I mean, do you really see them turning back from an impeachment inquiry? Um, well, 
I don't see them moving forward right now because you've got something like 15 or 20 Republicans at least who are not going along with it. Now, Ken Buck, for example, is a member of the Freedom Caucus. Mm -hmm. He I was the, the, the former chief of the criminal division of the U.S. Attorney's Office in Colorado. He's a smart lawyer, and he says there's nothing there. This is ludicrous. You know, he's saying it's ridiculous for them to proceed. And I, you know, feel very good about him and some other members who are saying you don't impeach someone over nothing. I mean, we understand why Donald Trump wants to trivialize the meaning of impeachment um, and confuse everybody about what it is. But there's no reason anybody else should do it. It's an extraordinary remedy that is the people's last line of self-defense against a president who acts like a king and abuses the public trust. Do you think there will be more impeachment hearings after what we saw today? I kind of doubt it after what we saw today, or at least it will be a while. Do you think they'll second-guess it? Um, I, I know that there was a lot of consternation and alarm on the Republican side to see how weak you heard the that case from Republicans. Was. Oh, directly on the floor. In fact, like what? Several Republicans were saying to me that the right wing is now saying that uh, Kevin McCarthy actually set it up to be a failure because he didn't want to proceed with impeachment. They couldn't believe that such a disaster would just happen by accident. I think that attributes a lot more organization Do you really think that, yeah, that's, that's and the strategy foresight to Kevin. The no, I, I don't. But I, what I mean is that it is uh, now taken for granted over there that their impeachment inquiry is going nowhere and that they don't have any evidence after nine months of this. One thing that they have said, Chairman Comer, is they deem the work of the impeachment inquiry team, these uh, these committees, to be essential. So if there is a government shutdown come Saturday night, they will continue with that work. Do you think that's appropriate? I can't think of anything less essential than this sham impeachment that they are running against Joe Biden just because Donald Trump sent out some social media communications saying, uh, well, they impeached me, so we've got to impeach Joe Biden. They did it to me, let's do it to him. That's not the constitutional standard, whether you're mad at the other team. The constitutional standard is whether there's treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And they haven't assembled one iota or morsel of evidence suggesting that Joe Biden has committed an impeachable offense. You bring up Speaker McCarthy, obviously, as they are trying to figure out how to fund the government, one thing that is threatened is his job here as Speaker. There could be a motion to vacate to remove him from that role. If that comes to a vote, how will you vote? Well, gee, I haven't even thought about that. And um, of course, uh, you know, I use the Tip O'Neill rule, which is I don't vote for anybody unless they ask me to vote for them. And so I haven't heard from Kevin McCarthy about it. In any event, we're together with Kevin McCarthy if he would abide by the agreement that we made back in May. We foresaw that the extreme mega Republicans would try to shut down the government. Uh, and we set up an actual budget agreement. And now Kevin McCarthy has stepped away from it because the mega re Republicans are threatening to vacate the chair, which means overthrow the speaker of the House. So I hope that he can get it together to organize his caucus. If not, we've got a great leader in Hakeem Jeffries, and we've been making real progress for America with the Infrastructure Act, with the Inflation Reduction Act. The Democrats are ready to lead. But is there a chance that you would potentially vote for Speaker McCarthy if his job was on the line? Well, you know, it never occurred to me to vote for Kevin McCarthy, but I'll tell you this. I have heard conversations among some of my Democratic colleagues who come from states where there are cross-party coalitions to form to try to isolate the extreme right. And that happens, and they say they share, you know, 50% of the committees go 
to Republicans. 50% of the committees go to the Democrats. They alternate weeks in which there's a Democratic speaker, a Republican speaker. So I, I suppose anything is possible in the land of hypotheticals, which is certainly where we live in the Oversight Committee, where the whole impeachment uh, process is based on hypotheticals. Um, but look, the real point is, what are we going to do to continue to make progress for America? And the first thing we got to do is keep the government open because yeah. that's massive pain and hardship that they're threatening for millions of people in the WIC program, in the SNAP program, federal workers across the country. Okay, I'm going to mark you down as a maybe then for that. Congressman Jamie Raskin. I don't even know what I said maybe too, but I want to make progress <laughs> okay, for America. Congress. That's why I'm a progressive. Thank you for joining us here on the balcony on Capitol Hill tonight. Coming up, President Biden is warning that democracy is in danger. He is invoking the late Republican Senator John McCain to make his point in Arizona today. I spoke with his wife, Cindy, and his son, Jack, about the state of American politics as it is tonight. Plus, a surprise move by Donald Trump's legal team just in in the state of Georgia. That's next. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Within a matter of minutes, the House is scheduled to vote in an attempt to find some way to keep the government open and funded past Saturday at midnight. Lawmakers have been scrambling to find a path out of this problem of their own making. Roughly four million Americans are trying to figure out how long they can go without a paycheck. They are facing basic questions tonight, like how they could potentially pay rent or credit card debt that they'll have to incur or what bills they can skip if that happens. A shutdown means that if you are about to buy a home, getting a mortgage is going to be tougher. If you have travel plans, there could be longer security lines and more delays at the airport. And of the 33 million small businesses in this country, 93% of them say that a shutdown will cost them more money. As we speak, though, tonight, there are still big questions about whether this latest plan, what is happening, can even pass the House. For answers on that, hopefully, I am joined by Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, and thank you, Congressman, for being here. What, I mean, there are these appropriations bills that Republicans yep. are voting on tonight. Are those going to pass, do you believe? Some, some might. Um, it's it's very, really hard to predict what's going on on the floor these days. Um, sometimes rules are taken down, and the vote count hasn't really gone as expected. Um, I think, you know, at least one, maybe two, possibly three, definitely not four. Uh, the ag appropriations bill is not going to pass. Too many, way too many problems with it. Um, you know, and a lot of people are approaching this the same way we did with the debt ceiling negotiations, knowing that what comes out of the House is never going to become law, uh, but it's necessarily a mechanism to get two people to sit down. That was certainly the case uh, with the debt ceiling, and the, the uh, outcome was good. Uh, Speaker McCarthy, President Biden sat down. They came up with a two-party solution. It got signed into law, and America is better for it. So um, the, the, the volleys, the individual volleys shouldn't be judged as a final product. Um, but we're coming close to the deadline. But and, is there um, an overall plan? I think that's what people are curious about tonight. Well, we have a plan. You know, I lead the, the bipartisan problem solvers, as you know. Uh, we don't. We work outside of the confines of leadership. We work with each other. We're 64 members, 32 Democrats, 32 Republicans, and we believe in two-party solutions. And what we do, like we did with debt ceiling, like we do with infrastructure, like we did with the Chips and Science Act, we do our work in the background. We prep a remedy, and if things collapse at the last minute. Um, amongst talks with the uh, the four corner, corners, as they call them, 
the, uh, the Republican and Democrat leaders of the House and the Senate, then we step forward with our solution. Uh, that was certainly the case with infrastructure. We provided the votes to get that across the finish line. We also drafted it. Uh, last Friday, we introduced a, a way to um, keep the government open, a two-party solution. Nobody got everything they wanted, but that's kind of how government operates. Yeah, but this plan, this short-term plan that mm -hmm. Speaker McCarthy says will <clears throat> be put on the floor for a vote tomorrow, even though it's not clear yep. that there are the votes to pass it, it actually seems like there's not. So why vote on it if they know that it's not going to pass? Well, I think they at least need to give it a try, right? I mean, I, I am a fan of putting everybody's bill on the floor and letting democracy take hold and have up or down votes. What I don't like is not putting bills on the floor because some member threatens to take a rule down or threatens to take the bill down. That's democracy. Let, let, let the uh, individual members cast their vote, go back home and explain their vote so to their So should Speaker bosses. McCarthy cut a deal with Democrats to get that bill well, passed? It's, it's not cutting a deal with Democrats. I mean, we... we we believe in two-party solutions. That's what our, our caucus is about. So it's not cutting a deal with anybody. It's coming up with a two-party solution that's good policy, um, that's good for our country. And we know, by the way, that's where this is going to land, right? We always knew that. We knew that that, that was where it was going to land with the debt ceiling. We knew uh, with infrastructure. There's a 60-vote threshold in the Senate. So by definition, everything that emerges from the Senate will be a two-party solution. Our view is, why don't we start there? Why do we got to go through this rigmarole um, and, and come out in a predictable way on the other but side. But they're totally dismissing what the Senate's plan is. I mean, Speaker McCarthy is dismissing that. Yeah, well, I can tell you they have not dismissed our problem-solver plan. Uh, Speaker McCarthy hasn't. Hakeem Jeffries hasn't. Um, colleagues on both sides of the aisle. They, they are very appreciative. I can tell you, talking to people coming up to us on the floor all the time saying, thank you, you may be the ones that help us get out of this. Uh, the, the clock is ticking. We only have a few days left. I will tell you that there is a group of us that are prepared to do what it takes to get our bill on the floor should this not be resolved. But can you convince those hardliners? Well, that, who are that saying we only need 218 votes. We don't need 435, we need 218. And um, if you can't get 218 in your conference, you go to, for 218 in the Congress. We focus on 218 in the Congress. There's a lot of ways to get to 218. How much does a government shutdown hurt <clears throat> your party? Um, it hurts America. I mean, forget which party it hurts, it hurts America. I lived through a government shutdown as an FBI agent uh, my last assignment uh, was out in the L.A. division, um, and we had to pull people off Title III wiretaps. We had to pull people off physical surveillance routes, which decimates uh, cases. When you have a gap of evidence for 30 days, that's very, very devastating to an investigation. That's just the FBI perspective, not to mention what it does to FAA for flight safety, what it does to, to CBP and the Border Patrol on the border. I mean, every single federal agency will be impacted, and they cost money. Yeah, it's a massive They're, impact. Do you believe government shutdowns are stupid? Do you and they should never happen. Government shutdowns are stupid. Do you believe that Speaker McCarthy <clears throat> can emerge from this with his job intact? Yes, I do. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, we'll wait to see if that you is bet. true. I know you have to go vote in a few matter a matter of Thanks moments. We'll me. see if those bills pass. Thank you, you for bet. joining us tonight. Thanks. Of course, so much turmoil happening here on the Hill. Elsewhere in politics, tonight we turn to the family of the late Republican Senator John McCain for their take on the state of the Republican Party and what is happening next. As President Biden today warned Americans of what he sees as a, quote, extremist movement within the Republican Party, he hearkened back to his longtime friend across the aisle, the late Senator John McCain, a war hero who notably stood firm against former President Donald Trump in his final years. Very few of us will ever be asked to endure what John McCain endured. But all of us are being asked right now 
What will we do to maintain our democracy? Will we, as John wrote, never quit? Will we put partisanship aside and put country first? I say we must, and we will. We will. The president was speaking in Arizona today as he honored Senator McCain, announcing the construction of a new library there in his home state in his name. The late senator, of course, made the fight for democracy at home and abroad a signature issue of his during his 35 years here on Capitol Hill before he died from brain cancer in 2018. I spoke earlier to his wife and son, Ambassador Cindy McCain, who is the executive director of the UN World Food Program, and Jack McCain, a veteran of the war in Afghanistan, who, of course, has been here on The Source before. Thank you both for being here with me. Uh, Ambassador, I know how personal this is for you. I mean, you could hear it in your voice today as you were talking about how the Bidens actually introduced you to your husband. Do you believe that President Biden's message about democracy today resonated? I do believe it did. I, I think his message was important. And I know many people feel that there's a lack of civility and a lack of, of, of debate and democracy that's not personal uh, anymore. I, th I think it, it's a message that not only resonates, but it's a very important message to make sure the country hears. And Jack, what do you think your, your father would say about the state of our democracy right now, that the president feels the need to come out? I mean, this is the fourth time he's made a speech to this effect about democracy and how he believes it's at stake. Well, I'm, I'm always loath to put uh, words in uh, my father's mouth, but uh, I will say that he was an eternal optimist. And um, whatever the circumstances were, he always believed in the strength of uh, the American democracy and the courage of those behind it. Uh, he would offer, I think, uh, that we always need civility. We always need leaders who are willing to serve a cause greater than their own self-interest. Um, but that if the American experiment is truly the greatest one in the history of mankind, uh, and he would still continue to be as hard behind it now as he was then. Yeah, I mean, it's an issue that we have so many guests come on and, and say, you know, they think that democracy could not survive potentially a second Trump term. Uh, obviously, that is part of what's driving President Biden's speech today, given he is the current Republican frontrunner. Ambassador, do you agree with that, that, that it, it may not be able to survive a, a second term of a Trump presidency? Well, I have great faith in the American people, and I truly believe that uh, we all believe in democracy, freedom, and the right to vote, and the right to be you know, orderly participants in, in discussions and debates. Uh, I think that that, of course, that message starts at the top. And I'm just hoping that this coming election is one that is civil, that has, uh, that uses courage and not intimidation and something that encourages people to vote and not abstain because they're, they're afraid of the system. Jack, one of President Biden's main points today was about being silent and how that's essentially being complicit, not speaking out after after Donald Trump says things like that baselessly that General Milley committed treason or that news networks should be investigated for such. I mean, what do you say to to other Republicans, uh, Republican leaders who, who don't speak out about comments like that from someone who is so prominent in today's Republican Party? Uh, so. I always have to be very careful um, in 
speaking in a partisan manner just because of the nature of my work and the fact that I'm, I'm still serving. But uh, what I will say is that um, I would say the definition of character in my own mind is doing the right thing by the virtue of the fact it's the right thing to do. Uh, sometimes that's hardest to do when everybody's watching um, and that you never lose through acting in uh, good faith and with good character. Ambassador, when you see President Biden give this speech today, speak the way that he did at the end of that about that, and then you see you know, a prominent figure in your state, Carrie Lake, who is going to be announcing that she, she is running for the U.S. Senate there. She said she called the speech disgusting and said we will not be lectured on democracy by someone who is trying to jail his political opponents. Obviously, a reference to Donald Trump's indictments, which are happening that you know the White House obviously says President Biden is not involved in. What do you, what's your response to that when you hear that? Look, we need to keep the rhetoric to a slow roll. This, what we need, again, is what my son just said, is civility. Uh, duty, honor country when we start talking about our leaders and, and those who want to be leaders in our country. And most of all, remembering who we are. We're Americans and we believe in democracy and the rule of the Constitution. So these things are all important. And I'm hoping that, that certainly the voters of Arizona, but the, but the American people in general will, will adhere to that this time. And Jack, with respect to what you just said, of course, which is very important here um, and your constraints on that, but you know, your father was always famous for saying, you know, country before party. Do you still think that's a, an ethos that's, that's reflected today that, that a lot of people still believe? I do. Um, I think that the ideal uh, that we all want to strive for, for country of a party um, or for service over self-interest um, is one that is strong in the United States. I think in every corner of the country, you find examples of this when you seek them out. Uh, that doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to try to foster those ideals and we should try to make them accessible to all Americans, which is thankfully one of the things uh, we're lucky enough to have had President Biden announce the McCain Library uh, that will be being built here. That's one of the things we really hope to do uh, through that project. Ambassador, what about you? Well, I, you know, what I look to is uh, what not only what my husband stood for, but the ideals that we can 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 replicate within the library, as Jack mentioned. And what's important to me is that we keep his legacy alive, and more importantly, we teach our young people about serving their country and being able to be good participants within government and and respectful of each other and and with using civility and those are the kinds of things that we intend to to honor here at the library and make sure that we continue to pursue yeah a significant announcement of course from president biden who clearly had such respect for the late senators ambassador cindy mccain jack mccain thank you both for taking the time to join me tonight thank you so much thank you and ahead, we are keeping a close eye on what is happening here on Capitol Hill as House Republicans and, of course, Democrats as well. They are voting. It is a question of whether or not those bills tonight will pass. All of this is a government shutdown is looming. CNN's very own Manu Raju has a scoop about Senator Bob Menendez as well. Another development we are following closely here on Capitol Hill right after the break. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. 
At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Back here on Capitol Hill tonight as the House is voting as they continue to try and find some way to keep the government open. A reminder that it runs out of money Saturday at midnight. For the latest on where things stand, I'm joined now by CNN's Manu Raju. And Manu, of course, I mean, even if they pass these bills tonight, which Congressman Fitzpatrick just said there's no way they're passing all of them, maybe they'll pass some of them, it, it will still not keep the government funded. They still have to figure that problem out. I mean, you just talked to Speaker McCarthy. What is, where's his head at on this? Yeah, look, he is still trying to do something that won't actually avoid a government shutdown, which is to pass a short-term spending bill to keep the government open for a few weeks with Republican votes alone, because he includes spending cuts in there, he includes border security measures. Democrats don't want to do any of that. They, and, but the, there's a problem for McCarthy. Not all of his Republicans want to do it either in this closely divided House. A number of conservative hardliners say they will never vote for a continuing resolution, meaning McCarthy doesn't have the votes, yet he is still pressing ahead on this effort. So then the question is, well, the vote is going to happen tomorrow in the House. That is going to fail. Then what? Yeah. There really only seems to be one way out of this for McCarthy, which is to cut a deal with Democrats, get it out of the House, get it on the Senate, the president's desk. But McCarthy doesn't want to do that yet because of the pressure on his right flank and threats to his speakership if he were to do that. And when I asked the speaker about this earlier tonight, about whether he's willing to cut a deal with Democrats, he didn't rule it out, but he also sidestepped the question. It's so clear that you know it's you know the votes better than we do. Your members aren't going to vote for it. I still You're have time. Better. I got time to do other things. In this job, you got to have A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Okay. So what letter are you on now? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't spelled my name out completely. So yeah, I was asking him like, well, if he's, is he have Plan B? Is he on Plan B yet? And yeah. he said that he's got multiple plans. So we'll see what he actually has in mind. But again. If he cuts a deal with Democrats, these members on the right say they're going to vote to oust him from, speak- from the speakership. And that could really come to a head in the next couple of days here. Yeah. And of course, there's pure chaos in the House. That's what everyone's focused on. But the Senate is also facing some um, interesting moments today. I know Senator Bob Menendez, who, of course, you know, we saw plead not guilty today to those bribery charges, made his case to the Senate lunch today. What are, what's your reporting about what you're hearing about what he plans to do if he'll answer those calls to resign? Yeah, he is making it very clear he is not resigning. He said that behind closed doors to his colleagues, saying, I'm not resigning. He made the case that he said he was innocent. He repeated a lot of things he said publicly. But what I've learned is that actually he seems to be taking steps to continue his reelection bid. And that is what's causing a lot of fears among Democrats right now who believe that if he runs, he could jeopardize a very safe seat in a difficult election environment for Senate Democrats. I've, I got a copy of an invitation that his PAC sent out to donors, urging them to come to an event that he was planned to have next month in Puerto Rico at a, at a, luxur- at a luxury hotel, a beachside hotel with golf with the senator, dining with the senator and his chief of staff, saying that the event is still on despite the latest events. So making clear that he is taking steps to run and to continue to run, despite the fears that if he were to do that, it could jeopardize a very safe seat and make it harder for Democrats control, to control the Senate. Obviously innocent until proven guilty, but he's still going to host a donor retreat in Puerto Rico, even the, despite the fact that he's now mounting a criminal or a, a defense to these criminal charges. Yeah, that's that's what the invitation says. He'll be there with golf. If you want to pay a price, you can have access to the senator.
I can't even imagine those conversations. Manu Raju, great reporting. We'll see what that looks like. Thank you. Thanks. Up next, a surprise move late today from Donald Trump's legal team. This is not what reporters who had been talking to his lawyers were expecting. It's an unexpected decision. Some legal experts are also wondering what's up. We'll talk to one of them next. Tonight, the latest move from Donald Trump's legal team is to stay put. It's a very unexpected decision, at least for those of us who are following this closely. But Trump's attorneys now say that they are not going to attempt to move his Georgia criminal case to a federal court, even though if they had, he could have potentially had a better argument to dismiss the charges, maybe even a more favorable jury pool. This comes after his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was denied in his attempt to move his case from a state court to a federal court, saying that he was just doing his job as a federal employee. His legal team is trying to appeal that decision tonight. But for more on Trump's move, I want to bring in former federal prosecutor Shan Wu, who is here with me. Uh, this is a move. I mean, we had been talking to people on Trump's team if they were going to do this. It seemed pretty clear cut that they were. But do you think because Mark Meadows was denied initially by this judge that that played a factor in their decision here? Uh, I think it plays a factor. Uh, for one thing, you know, Meadows took that unusual step of waiving his Fifth Amendment and testifying. Yeah. And so that's a concern for Trump and his team. But he may also get some of the benefits anyway. I mean, one of the ideas of removal in part was delay. He may be taking a look at the pace now of the case and deciding that it's not going to be that much of a rush pace anyway. And he can sit back and watch what happens with the other defendants who may go first. There's also a theoretical chance that if Meadows were to win on appeal, that Trump's case might still get removed because of the legal connection. Maybe they move all defendants. of them. Right. They move, right. Yeah, I think some of them wouldn't get moved, but there is a bunch that might get moved if Meadows were to win on that legal issue of the federal officials. It was a federal type of action. Are you surprised by this overall, though? I mean, just given what we had seemed to think that Trump's legal team was going to do? I am a little surprised at it. Uh, it seems a little bit more strategic and less reactive than what he normally does. And uh, one thing that occurred to me, too, I mean, it perhaps costs a little bit less money because they're spending an enormous amount of money on fees right now. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think the biggest takeaway is if this does go forward as, I mean, still an open question in a state trial, I mean, that means there will be cameras in the room. It's going to look a lot oh. different than if he had been successful in moving it. Yes, I think that's a really great point. I think that was a very happy idea he had that nobody would be watching this on TV, even though he likes to be the showman. But absolutely. I, and I think it'll be really important for it to be broadcast. The other legal thing that he is facing the foremost this week is what's happening in New York. Of course, that judge finding that Trump massively overvalued uh, his assets, overinflated them. Trump has said that trial is still starting despite that decision on Monday. And now we read today that the, the judge has essentially the office, the list of witnesses that the attorney general's office has submitted includes Trump, includes Ivanka Trump, includes Donald Trump Jr. Uh, and Eric Trump as well. Do you think we could actually see Trump himself testify? I think it would be a really bad idea for him to testify. So I think he probably will stay off the stand. I think the arguments they want to make, they can put forth without him having to put himself on the stand that way. But the it's a very complex unraveling that's going to happen. It's still a little bit unclear to me just how some of the judge's rulings are going to get uh, implemented. But no question, 
the judge has really eviscerated the heart of his defense, which was that these were valid valuations I was making, and that's completely gone. Yeah, I mean, his own attorneys were asking, what's the point of us going to trial? I mean, right. obviously, there are still other things the judge could yeah. rule on, further penalties potentially right. facing Trump. Right. It's really just become a damages question at this point, just, you know, what kind of penalty there's going to be. And, uh, you know, as always, uh, Trump is his own worst enemy, which is the sorts of exaggerations he was making. They're so easily caught. I mean, square footage is something that's just measured. And to exaggerate it that way just gives you a sense of just how arrogant he was in making those sorts of decisions. Yeah, we'll see what that trial looks like on Monday. Shan Wu, thank you for being here with me tonight. Also next, the real-life consequences of what's happening here on Capitol Hill, where we are now, a potential shutdown, military families, many of them already living paycheck to paycheck, now facing a real possibility of not getting paid. We are back here live on Capitol Hill tonight. Of course, there is a lot of late night drama going on about how to keep the government funded. Nearly two million military troops and personnel will stop getting their paychecks if the government does shut down as it looks like it's going to this weekend. It's a terrifying prospect for many people who live paycheck to paycheck or rely on government services to help feed their families. My next guest knows what it's like to face that uncertainty head on. Bessa Pinchotti is the CEO of the nonprofit National Military Family Association. Her husband is also a veteran of the Marine Corps whose next paycheck is now in doubt as a civilian employee for the Air Force. And you join me now. Thank you for being here. I mean, when you look at this reality and we talk to the lawmakers about this and you think of the real life consequences, how many military families are living paycheck to paycheck? Well, I can tell you that about 25% of military families have told us that they're food insecure. And so living paycheck to paycheck has unfortunately become such a huge part of military life. Military families, it used to be that you could survive on their income. Now you need two incomes to survive. And things like this just make it hard. If the government does shut down like we're expecting, and if our service members do get paid, let's say best case scenario, even in that situation, there are 16,000 military spouses who are employed by the federal government. There are child care centers that won't be able to take care of kids so that those other military spouses are able to go to work. WIC offices on installations will be closed. Yeah. And so basically, there are people all over the country just holding on, wondering what's next, what's going to happen next week, how will they pay for groceries next week? Yeah, and it has these, I mean, you mentioned WIC, which is the, of course, Women, Infant, and Children program. I mean, and we were just looking at the numbers here of some 7 million people that rely on that, that, that could be denied that assistance if this shutdown goes through uh, on Saturday night. I mean, do you think lawmakers here understand the consequences of that? It doesn't feel that way. I can tell you that much. You know, for military families, we know that if you just look at a service member's income, hundreds of thousands of military families are eligible for WIC. And like I said, they're on installation. So they're really important for the health and nutrition of military kids and for moms. And when I'm sitting here right now, I'm just imagining that there is a military mom, probably several, pregnant, wondering how she's going to feed her kids next week, also wondering if she's going to be able to go to her prenatal appointment and how long this is going to go yeah. on. We've been trying, when we've talked to lawmakers almost every day this week as we've seen this coming, talking to them about the real-life consequences this would have, living without a paycheck. One Republican congressman, Tim Burchett of Tennessee, had this to say about what those consequences could be. We have 
we have a shutdown about every two to three years. And the average lasts about eight days. Social Security checks are going to continue and all the governments, government employees will receive full back pay. And no veteran's going to lose his house. It's against the law. They keep talking about back pay. But I mean, is that enough for people who live paycheck to paycheck who, who don't can't afford to go that long without actually getting that paycheck immediately? So we ask military families to face uncertainty every single day. And this is just another level of that. And that, what I just heard, sounds like a very comfortable response. He's obviously not a person who's living paycheck to paycheck. And if you really were thinking about that, maybe they're going to get paid in two weeks. But like I said, it's beyond just the pay. It's everything every day. Will my kid be able to go to daycare on Monday? Will I be able to take my child to their doctor's appointment? It's every single part of their lives. And these are people who volunteer to serve. They stand up for this country every single day. And this is how we respect them. We hear, thank you for your service. And this is the opposite of a thank you. And I think about this, but I mean, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Milius is officially leaving his post tomorrow. His replacement has been confirmed, but there are so many others, hundreds of others have it. I mean, between what's happening here with the prospect of a shutdown, between what's happening in the Senate, with Senator Tuberville's hold. I mean, are military families just caught in the middle of politics in a way that you've never seen before? Absolutely. Military families are being used as pawns. And, you know, military kids are watching, and there are kids all around this country who are dreaming of being in our military. They want to serve. They're patriotic, and they have this desire to serve. But they're sitting at home, and they're watching the news, and they're seeing that they may not get paid. Their kids may not be cared for. And we're talking about a crisis in recruiting and a retention. And this is not the way to solve that problem either. Bessa Panjati, thank you so much for coming and explaining the real consequences of what very much seems like it's going to happen on Saturday night. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Tonight, as I mentioned, there was a standing ovation for General Mark Milley as he exited the Pentagon for the final time as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. At midnight on Saturday, General C.Q. Brown will officially replace him as the nation's top military officer. That was his salute as he left the Pentagon for the last time tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. CNN Primetime with Abby Phillip starts right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.